Hey everybody out there in podcast land, this is Chris, the public safety guru. For those of you in my program, this is the anticipated study guide for Block 3's exam, cardiology. So you know the drill, pencils and papers, and thinking cap, and let's get ready for your Block 3 exam. First of all, students should be familiar with the standards set forth by the American Heart Association's BLS Provider Certification. I recommend that students obtain a copy of the BLS Provider Handbook and you need to read it from cover to cover. You can do that in just about an hour. Okay, so let's break this up. Automatic external defibrillators is our first category. AEDs are only applied for a medical cardiac arrest. Remember that, medical cardiac arrest, never for trauma. When someone's in cardiac arrest due to trauma, something else besides the heart is causing the cardiac arrest. In a medical cardiac arrest, it is the heart that is the reason why we're in cardiac arrest. Secondarily, we never apply an AED on a patient who is awake or has a pulse. Remember that. Never apply an AED on a patient who is awake. Additionally, think of it this way, never apply an AED on a moving patient. They don't need it. They're moving. They're alive. It's that simple. It's so simple, even a fireman can do. Ha, there's my fireman joke for the day. Next category, procedures and treatments. EMTs should request ACLS because early ACLS provides higher survival rates. So if you're on a call or if you're on a cardiology call, you should request ALS as ALS is going to be the definitive treatment to keep your patient alive. Remember with CHF patients, we've been talking about this in class, CHF CHF patients need to be transported in the Fowler's position, legs down. This is the upright position, legs down. Remember, legs down. Their feet are with your feet. For this test, you should know when you give oxygen after you apply a pulse ox. Remember, we're looking for that 94%. Anything less than 94%, we're going to go ahead and give some oxygen. We should also know the indications for nitroglycerin when we give nitro. We give nitro for chest pain. We don't care if it's angina chest pain or MI chest pain. We give nitro for chest pain. Now that brings me to the added thing with aspirin. At your level, at the EMT level, you will give aspirin to reduce the size of the clot. It's not for pain, it's to reduce the size of the clot. Now this next question you're gonna have to answer. What is the first action when treating a patient with chest pain and shortness of breath? You should be thinking giving them oxygen. Shallow respirations always require ventilatory assistance, always. In class, you hear me just beat a dead horse. Shallow respirations equal BVM or positive pressure ventilation. Shallow respirations will always equal BVM or positive pressure ventilation. Whenever you give a medication, you need to immediately reassess your patient. Remember that. Upon giving a medication, you will reassess them. We need to know if there was positive actions or negative actions. Before giving nitro, an EMT should ensure that our patient has not had any Viagra in 24, 48 to 72 hours. Bottom number 24, top number 72. An EMT should also know when drugs are contraindicated. When would you not give nitroglycerin? You should know that by now. 
We do not give nitroglycerin if the patient has already taken three doses, if their blood pressure is below 100, if they have an allergy to nitroglycerin, altered level of consciousness, or the patient has taken any sexually enhancement drugs in the last 24 to 72 hours. An EMT should know what transdermal is. That's a medication that's absorbed through the skin. Sublingual, that's absorbed underneath the tongue, our nitroglycerin. Subcutaneous, that's when a paramedic will give a small shot underneath the skin, usually used during allergic reactions. And intraosseous, which is a needle going through the bone to apply medication. You should know all of these. All right, next category, anatomy and physiology. Now, it's very rare for us to take a blood pressure in both arms, but when you have a patient who is having chest pain and you take a blood pressure in both arms and the blood pressures are different, you need to think dissecting aortic aneurysm, okay? Dissecting aortic aneurysm. A tall tale sign is different blood pressures in each arms. Now, if you have a patient with a AAA, the position we transport them is supine. Supine for AAA, we need to reduce the tension that is on the abdomen. So what is the difference between MI pain and angina pain? Well, MI pain is constant and it never goes away and nothing makes it feel better. Angina pain is pain that only lasts for a certain amount of time and usually is relieved through rest. You got to know the difference because we're gonna ask you what the difference is on the test. EMT should know what is the most common term that our patients use to describe chest pain. You need to go back through your notes and visit how you give nitro to your patients and what instructions do you tell them. An EMT should also know why VTAC, ventricular tachycardia, causes hypertension, hypotension, hypotension. So you may see a question that talks about the vascular disorder of an arterial wall. That is a AAA, okay? That's the aortic aneurysm. By this time, you should know all the signs and symptoms of an MI. Now remember, when that patient is having an MI, the reason why they have pain is the that section of the heart that does not have blood flowing to it is dying and that hypoxia is causing the pain. You need to remember this. So a portion of the heart, a coronary artery has been clogged and that section that is fed by that coronary artery is having pain because of that tissue dying. You may see a test question that asks you what cardiac rhythm can deteriorate into pulsousness. Now remember, we are people of action. We are a profession, profession of action. Sometimes we will give medications that will have an adverse reaction to our patients. It's, in other words, a reaction that we don't want. So this sometimes happens when we give a patient nitroglycerin. If we give a patient nitroglycerin and all of a sudden we have a dramatic huge drop of their blood pressure, we need to do something. So we need to put that patient supine and elevate their legs. We need to get the blood back to the brain, heart, and lungs to keep the patient from going into shock, okay? We just don't do nothing for this patient. We do something. Now going back to MI and angina, the difference between an MI and angina is an MI, there could be no catalyst or no reason why the MI starts. In other words, the patient could just wake up out of a dead sleep with chest pain. Angina is normally caused by exertion. 
So when you ever when you see those calls talk or you see those questions regarding you have a patient that exerted themselves, blah 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 blah, and they had chest pain and the chest pain went away after so many minutes, think angina, okay? By now, do you know what the main sign of CHF is, congestive heart failure? If you're thinking fluid in the lungs, you're thinking right. On that note, what causes CHF? Left heart failure or right heart failure? If you said left heart failure, you would be right. Okay, now we're gonna get into CPR and choking. This is the area where most students will get the questions wrong because they cannot wrap their head around conscious and unconscious choking. So let's talk about a few things regarding CPR and choking. First, students, students should know, you should know the ratio of adult CPR, child CPR, child two-person CPR, infant CPR, and two-person infant CPR. Okay, you need to know those numbers. Now for the most part, one person, adult, child, and infant is 30 compressions to two breasts. When we add two rescuers, child switches from 15 to two and infant switches from 15 to two. Okay, now let's talk about adult conscious choking. Adult conscious choking, this is somebody who is conscious. We will continue to do abdominal thrust until one of two things happen. Either A, we clear the obstruction, or B, they go unconscious. Guess what? If they go unconscious, then we start doing chest compressions slash CPR. That's what we do. Unconscious choking is chest compressions slash CPR. The same goes with infants. If you have a conscious infant, you're going to do five chest compressions and five back blows. Five chest, chest compressions and five back blows, back blows. If the infant goes unconscious, guess what? We are now just doing CPR, okay? Don't get this wrong. Now, you may see a test question where you're not gonna know if the patient was choking prior to collapsing. The way we can figure out, especially based upon American Heart Standards that a patient has an obstructive airway if they're unconscious is, when we open up the airway, we're going to give that breath. If we meet with resistance, American Heart wants you to put the head back into a neutral position and reopen up the airway. We're going to error on the side that maybe we didn't open up the airway the right way the first time. If we give a second breath and now we still meet with resistance, we're going to assume that patient has an obstructed airway and we're gonna be begin chest compressions. Now, let's say you find a infant down and you, need, you have a choice to call 911 or render CPR for two minutes. We are always going to render CPR for two minutes on the infant. We need to get some oxygen circulated to the brain, heart, and lungs. Most infants and children will be, will be in cardiac arrest because of hypoxia. So we may be able to correct that by giving two minutes of CPR. Now, this is a little bit different on the adult. I'm gonna give you two different scenarios. So you and I are in the classroom. When you walk in, you find me down on the ground and you don't know how long I've been there. So you have a choice. You could run out to the hallway and call 911 or you could begin CPR on me. Well, since you don't know how long I have been down, start giving me CPR. Give me about one to two minutes of CPR, get some oxygen in my brain and then go activate 911. Now the second scenario is, let's say I'm lecturing in front of you and all of a sudden I collapse. Well, you know I have four to six minutes of oxygen in my brain. So run and go call 911, then come back and do CPR. Do so you see the difference? 
Well, with infants though, going back to that original scenario, you want to make sure you do two minutes of CPR to get some oxygen in that brain regardless of downtime. Now with AEDs, we can use an AED on an infant, child, and adult. With that, we can use adult pads on adults, we can use adult pads on a child, and we can use adult pads on an infant. But it does not work the other way around. We cannot use infant or child pads on adult. Don't even deploy them, don't even try it. There is even no reason to, it's just not going to work. This is the one instance where nothing is better than nothing, okay? We usually say something is better than nothing, not in regards to this. So just remember that we cannot use child and infant pads on an adult. It will have no effect. Now, when we are using an AED on a child or infant, we want some type of energy reducer if we can. That's if we can. If we don't have any energy reducer, then it's okay. Go ahead and apply the pads one pad to the front of the chest, one pad to the back of the chest, and utilize the AED based upon the prompts. Now, once you do apply the AED, you clear the victim and analyze the patient. Now, let's just say that the AED tells you to shock. You go ahead and shock. And then the AED tells you that there is no shock indicated. You need to reassess your patient. The AED may work. And when I say reassess the patient, we start from the beginning airway, breathing, and circulation. We assume that the call is starting all over again brand new. With that, remember that the AED only works on chaotic electrical activity known as V-fib. Chaotic electrical activity known as V-fib. As well as you should know how to apply the AED pads. Remember one pad goes on the upper right chest, one pad goes right below the left armpit, below the left nipple line. If you are applying pads and you notice that a, there's a pacemaker or a defibrillator in the area where you want to put the pad, we want to try to avoid it. But if we can't, apply that AED pad and if the AED says shock, we're going to shock. Because guess what, ladies and gentlemen, if we're shocking our patient, that pacemaker or defibrillator underneath their skin is no longer working. If you also find a medication patch in the area where you want to put your defib pad, you want to remove that medication patch with a gloved hand, wipe away the medication with a towel, and then apply your pad. Okay, this is where I always tell my story about my nurse. When I responded to a call several years ago, I literally walked up to a nurse doing CPR on a live patient. The guy was literally saying, get off of him. He's like, get off me, get off me, stop it, stop it. And she's like, I got to do CPR. And I'm like, no, you need to stop. So with this story, if you come across bystanders doing CPR on your patient, stop them from what they're doing and reassess that patient yourself. They may have brought the patient back. They may not know what they're doing. Regardless of what that is, no matter what, you reassess your patient. Even if law enforcement is doing CPR, you need to reassess that patient yourself to ensure that you should keep doing CPR. So let's say now we are transporting our patient and all of a sudden they go into cardiac arrest. Your protocol is to pull over and then begin treatment and let the AED analyze. The AED will not work on a moving ambulance. So what happens if you respond to that drowning patient, he's pulled out of the water and the patient's wet? Can we still use an AED? The answer is yes. We dry them off to the best of our ability, apply the AED, and, tell, and, let, and do what the AED says to do. So ladies and gentlemen, 
Take this study guide along with your notes from your lectures, as well as any required reading. Put all of this together and you should do pretty okay on the Block 3 exam, if not excellent. This is Chris, the Public Safety Guru. Have a good night.